this is a day we've all looked uh, very forward for, uh, forward to. And uh, so, as elders, we were uh, dividing up jobs for uh, to make to ensure that Thomas and Becca's trip here was successful. I got the job as bodyguard, and um, they probably should have picked somebody with a little more experience. I got another one too. I told you that we were we were unanimous in our decision to recommend Thomas to you guys, but it didn't come without a fight. So those are my jokes for the day. But that's not the truth. There was real unanimity in every group that we had that reviewed Thomas, the search team, the elders, and now thankfully the staff got to meet Thomas and Becca on Friday. And I've just got to tell you the spirit that was in that meeting. It was it was incredible. And it's not what Thomas and Becca brought to that uh, group. It's what God, what Jesus brought, and the spirit that was there with that group. Certainly Thomas and Becca will add a lot to our staff here, uh, if chosen by you. But uh, it, was just, it was just something so sweet about everything this weekend so far. And I can really feel God stirring us as a church body right now. So... Um, one of the things we asked when we asked uh, when we did the recommendation search with Thomas was if if you had one word to describe him, what would that be? And um, almost unanimously, it came back passionate. Thomas is a passionate guy. Well, that's very true. I mean, you can't spend you know spend a little time with Thomas and you come away, you're challenged, you're inspired, you're you're energized, you're uh, probably most importantly, you're encouraged. But there's so much more to this couple and this young man. Uh, we've, we've had uh, some time together these last two days. They've stayed with Katie and myself. And he's transparent. <laughs> he's real, which is refreshing. He's just like us, guys. I mean, he's a, he's a sinner saved by grace. A guy that uh, loves Jesus like we do. And that's just, that's just so great to see. Also, just the way he treats his wife and the way they interact. He's loving and caring, and you can tell that about him. Well, enough about all that stuff. You'll get to, you'll get to see that. So um, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Thomas Fitzpatrick. Come on up. Well, thank you. Good morning, friends. Uh, it is an incredible honor, uh, a joy, a privilege to be with you this weekend. Brad is at the bar way too high. I told him, low, 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 please, as low as possible. But uh, as Ryan mentioned, uh, mentioned multiple times this morning, my name is Thomas Fitzpatrick, my wife, Becca. Uh, we have been the ones you've been Facebook stalking the last couple of weeks. And so I'm sorry, there's nothing juicy on there. We should have put some, some good stuff on there. Uh, but in all seriousness, Becca and I, uh, along with our little ones, Bailey and Cassia, we are so excited about the possibility of partnering with you and partnering with the Spirit of God in this place to do something incredible, not only in these walls, but more importantly, outside of these walls, in this community, in our neighborhoods. And so we're, we're excited to see what God has in store for us. Uh, I'm grateful that John put together that video for us last week. Hopefully you got to know us just a little bit better through that video. Uh, and although we have watched countless hours of We Are West Bowl's video over the last couple of weeks, I still don't know all of you, and I don't know much about you as a church. So I thought we maybe would start this morning with just a little activity. This would help me get to know you just a little bit better. So I'm going to put up a couple different images on the screen, and either by a show of hands or hoots and hollers, I want to know which ones you gravitate to more. So, so any, any poodle fans? 
The four of you. Okay, awesome. Awesome, good. Good. You need to sit together next week, okay? So I'm, I'm assuming we're more kind of bulldog kind of crowd. Okay, all right, good. All right, let's go to the next one. Let's see about, about this. How about more more truck kind of folks? Jeep? Anybody top down? Car? All right, okay, okay. The, the young ones, good, good. How about food? Let's talk about food for a second. Uh, meat and potatoes kind of folks? That's right, that's right. That's right, throw that salad out. We don't need that salad, all right? How about the next one here? Uh, activities. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You guys don't know what these activities are. These are the activities, <laughs> this right here. Uh, is, is that more like what is Denver? Denver's, oh boy. Becca, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? All right, how about this? This is an important question to know. Where, where do we stand on the movie? Let's go to the movie screen real fast. Is it more Twilight, more Harry Potter, more Hunger Games? Where are we? Have you seen any of these? These are <laughs> kind of popular in LA. Uh, but maybe the most important question, I really need to know the answer to this one. Um, Mac, Mac folks? Okay. How about the rest? PC? Let's pray for you right now. Uh, that helps a little bit, I think. Uh, well, a few weeks ago, as we were entering into this process, we came across a video that, that showed some of the most important members of this church sharing with us what they wanted to see in the next lead pastor. And I thought it'd be important before I began the message this morning to go through their, their list and make sure that I address some of their concerns right off the bat. So this is the children's must-haves. The first they had was, must be nice and not too bossy. That depends on who you ask. Uh, second, be really smart. Define really. I think we'll be right. The next one, dress nice. How's this? It's okay. It's, it's no Ryan Long. I know that, but it's, it's something. It's something. How about don't be afraid to speak in public? This is awkward. This is totally awkward. Okay, next, shower every day and be clean. Got it. At least today. Uh, next, use relatable stories and don't get off track. Did I ever tell you guys about this one time? When I was at this West Bowl, okay, never mind. Right, next, uh, braces. As Rich will tell you, our elder, this is all natural right here, but I did marry a girl who had braces. So does that count? Is that close enough? All right, maybe next, a good example. I won't be the worst example. I'll give that to you. Uh, next, we have love's crafts. Yes and yes. I can doodle, shape sand, or paint a birdhouse with the best of them. So I'm ready. And I actually spoke to the girl this morning that said that, so she's ready to go. Uh, mustache, hamburgers, and goatee. Yeah, uh, no, yes, tried, and wife said no. So we'll, <laughs> we'll go with that. Uh, relates to kids, that means acting like a kid, right? So yes, most certainly. Uh, next one, loves pizza and donuts. I've worked on a college campus for the last 12 years. Pizza and donuts are my middle name. Two major food groups, so I think we're okay there. Bust out dancing. I'm a balding white man born in the early 80s. You don't want me bust out dancing. For my reputation and the reputation of West Bowles in this community, you don't want that. Uh, dark hair and tuxedo. Kid, if that's really important to you, there's some other churches in the neighborhood that might. So I'm not a perfect fit, but, but if it, it takes growing a mustache or busting out Gangnam style or doing whatever it takes to lead this church and especially those youngsters to Christ. If that's what it takes, I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to do it. So we're excited. 
We're excited. Let's, uh, let's begin with the prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive into God's word. Father, I thank you so much for this church and for this amazing, amazing body of believers. Thank you for this staff. Incredible. Even this morning, Rebecca, just with her gifts, blessing us and bringing us into your presence. Thank you for those that have seen this through, this church through the highs and the lows. And Lord, in this moment now, we ask that you will do kind of a Pentecost moment and speak to each of us in our own language. Help us to hear what we need from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The kids' responses on that video reminded me of a story that I came across recently. Uh, Five-year-old Johnny was in the kitchen. His mom was making dinner. She says, Johnny, will you go into the pantry for me and get a can of tomato soup? But it's dark in there. Johnny told his mom, I'm scared. I don't want to go. So he refused. Well, a few minutes later, she asked again, and again, he expressed his concern. So the mom says, Johnny, Johnny, don't worry. Jesus will be in there with you. So Johnny goes over to the pantry door, and he opens it. It's pitch black. He's terrified. He's about to t turn and run away when all of a sudden a thought comes to him. So he looks down the stairs and yells out, Jesus, hey, since you're down there, throw me the can of tomato soup. Triumphantly walks back into the kitchen. But think about fear. Fear. Maybe it's dark rooms, thunderstorms, spiders, heights, speaking in public, some chaotic combination of all of the above. Fear is a big part of our lives, isn't it? Fear is a huge part of what happens to us on a daily basis. According to a recent study done by the National Institute on Mental Health, 90% of Americans fear things the rest of the world would consider relatively insignificant. 88% of Americans fear things that will never actually happen. Most of that pertains to our health. And a whopping 6.3 people, 6.3 million people are diagnosed with phobias, Americans alone. Here are some of the totally ridiculous phobias that I found. These are the most absurd ones out there. We have paletophobia. This is the fear of baldness or bald people. If that describes you, I am, I'm really sorry. Um, <laughs> Maybe you can close your eyes during the sermon. Uh, there's this one. There's a, a ractobutrophobia. This is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> we can all re relate to that. Then there's xemophobia, the fear of the naked mole rat. <laughs> and after seeing the picture, I think I am a xemophobic. And then, of course, there's phobophobia, the fear of being afraid. But you see, we're not alone when it comes to our fears. We're not the only ones that struggle with that. I'm gonna share a story with you this morning from the pages of scripture, one that the Holy Spirit has kept alive for so many years because it describes for us a group of men who are afraid. They've got a lot of phobias. In fact, they struggle with astrophobia, the fear of storms, aquaphobia, the fear of water, and they really have a phasmophobia, which is the fear of ghosts. Let me read to you Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. It says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get out of the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, 
save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. After an incredibly long day, to say the least, this has been a day for Jesus filled with bad news, lots of demanding people, a list of to-dos that only got longer throughout the course of the day. He's just trying to get some alone time. He wants to put the kids to bed early. He wants to spend a few minutes in the hot tub. He wants to catch the newest episode of Breaking Bad alone, right? You know, you know this feeling. And so the text says that he tries to shoo away and, and take away the disciples. He wants to be alone for a little while. And so they all pile into this small fishing boat. They probably argue over shotgun, and they head across to the other side. It's late in the evening, possibly early in the morning. It's dark outside. Everyone's tired, probably a little grumpy. The disciples are alone. They're pretty much stranded in the Sea of Galilee. In Mark, we read they have rowed three and a half miles against battering waves. You can imagine the mental state that they're in. The wind and the waves are so intense seems as if they're not making any progress at all. They're so afraid by what is happening, so exhausted by what is happening, that when Jesus shows up, he adds to the chaos, he adds to the fear, he adds to the panic, they think he's a ghost. They're terrified of him, it says. To put it bluntly, the disciples in this moment are paralyzed by fear. They fear for their well-being. They fear for their life. They fear that Jesus doesn't care. They fear that God has abandoned them. They fear that the storm and the darkness and evil might overtake them. They fear they're not gonna make it through this situation. They're paralyzed by fear. Anyone relate to that feeling? Anyone know what that's like? Sure we can. If we're honest, we know exactly what it feels like to be in that little boat battered by those waves. My sweet little Bailey knows that feeling well. One night we were in Texas, we got caught in the worst thunderstorm I've ever seen in my life. Now granted in California, we don't have thunderstorms, so that's not probably saying much. But the lightning was so intense, it lit the house up like the 4th of July, it's probably 2 a.m. The, the, the thunder is so loud, it sounds like we're in someone's car with you know, two 15-inch subs in the back, the bass is ringing in our ears. And I wake up startled. And I know Bailey is going to be terrified of this moment. She's never had this happen to her before. So I run upstairs to see her. And sure enough, 2 a.m., little Bailey, I open the door, and she is in her bed like this, covers pulled up, eyes as saucers. So I just hopped in the bed with her and slept with her that night. But she was terrified, paralyzed by fear. And if we're honest, we probably all know that feeling, don't we? Covers up, eyes wide open, terrified by fear. We know what it feels like for the wind and the storms and the water and the ghosts to paralyze us, but we actually know what other things paralyze us too, right? Fear for us takes on different forms. There's the fear of judgment, the fear of what others will think or say or post or tweet about us. Fear that the cool kids won't want us as part of them and fear that the nerdy kids think we are part of them, right? We're afraid of judgment. We're afraid of not measuring up. Maybe you're afraid that your life isn't as creative, fun, and exciting and as put together as everybody else's life is on social media. Maybe you're afraid your family's the only crazy, chaotic, messy family in all of Colorado. Maybe you fear failure. Maybe you're afraid that if you try something new, if you step out and go for it, that you're gonna flop, you're gonna strike out, you're gonna look foolish, or maybe worse, move back in with mom and dad. Maybe you're afraid to fail. Maybe you're afraid of pain. 
afraid of getting hurt emotionally, physically. Maybe you're afraid that you're going to have to endure death, disease, or a lot of discomfort. I came across some pretty fascinating pictures this last week thinking about pain. I don't know if you saw these pictures. This is Kaja Stramanis. Took some, took some photos of her in some painful situations, to say the least. The first is the kickball. I love this second one of her. You guys understand the ice scraper, right? She's getting hit in the face with this one. And then the third one is classic. Just a good book in the face. Now, these are fun Photoshopped images. She's not really getting hurt. And it's easy to laugh at somebody else's depiction of pain. But to go through it yourself is something else entirely, isn't it? We're afraid of it. We're afraid of pain. Maybe we're afraid of the future. We fear that the worst case scenario is going to happen. And of course, it's going to happen to me. We're afraid that the future is always going to look like the present or that the past is going to cloud and limit our future. We're afraid of so many things. Fear can take on so many forms and come from so many places. And I don't know all of you yet or all of your stories yet, but based upon a lot of those videos, you know this feeling. You've been open with us about the bad stuff that's gone on in your life. You have been buffeted and crushed by the waves of fear. I know that I have. I know that I am. If I'm honest with you, I fear what others will say about me, what others will think of me. I fear that I will fail at life or parenting or preaching. I fear that my girls will get hurt or that I will die a slow, painful death. I fear that I'll have to work every day of my life before the slow, painful death. I fear that I invested in the wrong stuff. Okay, that's actually a reality and a truth. But I fear that. I fear that my girls won't know and love the Lord when they grow up, that they won't have enough money for college. I fear that God is frustrated with me at best, angered at worst. I fear that the first time I play golf with the elders, I will outdrive them so badly. They will feel really old. <laughs> I mean, I just, I'm just so afraid. I'm so afraid. And, and I don't know if this is resonating with you or I'm just making a fool of myself as I gush out my fears to you. But fear cripples me. It's so real. And there's a reason it's addressed in Scripture probably more than any other thing. Because I think one of the major consequences of the fall is that now we gravitate towards fear instead of faith. Our natural default is to become afraid. And no matter the source, no matter the cause, no matter how that manifests itself in your life, here's the truth behind it. Fear undermines your faith. They do not, cannot go together. They can't exist in the same boat. Fear always results in the same thing, risk aversion. When you're afraid, you play it safe. You hedge your bets. You live guarded and calculated. Fear is self-absorbing. It causes you to look inward, to focus on self-preservation. You don't do anything crazy for the Lord when you're afraid. You don't ask God to do things that only he could do when you're paralyzed by fear. You don't reach out or branch out or break out if you're sitting in the fetal position in the back of the boat. And Hebrews tells us, you can't please God without faith. And so if we're filled with fear, we don't have the faith that God wants us to have. And that is why I love and want to share this story with you this morning. The story of Jesus coming to the disciples and ministering to them by saying just a few words, and I think those words are true for us today. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid anymore. Life is scary, is it not? Life is hard, is it not? Storms, fear, disappointment, confusion, exhaustion, they are real. We know what they feel like. We'd be foolish and lying to ourselves, to our neighbors, to our non-believing friends, if we said anything else, if we described life in these flowery terms. That's just not true. 
Test results come back positive. People we love pass away. Pregnancies don't come to full term. Relationships end in divorce. Dream guys, dream jobs, dream homes end out to be a nightmare. Doors close, if not slam in our face. Promises are broken. People turn. Jesus said, when the storm comes, not if, but when. Most of us know and have already been through a few. And I love Jesus' antidote to all of this. He doesn't just describe the problem. That's not our God. He gives a solution to the problem. The answer to the question, the solution to the problem, it's not more antidepressant pills. It's not more yoga classes or a bigger 401k. Although, hey, if that does it for you, add that too. The real cure is Christ-centered courage. That's the cure to the problem of fear, is Christ-centered courage. And it's not just courage for courage's sake. See, Jesus doesn't come up and say, take courage because you're awesome. Take courage because you're more talented and have more degrees and have more Facebook friends than everybody else. He doesn't say take courage because your boat is strong. He doesn't say take courage because you rock. He says take courage, you know why? Because I'm right here. I am with you. It's called Christ-centered courage. The great I am, the one who spoke order into the chaos into the very beginning. The God we love and serve, the one who parted the waters of the Red Sea like a bad hairdo. (laughs) The one who broke down the walls of Jericho with with a jazz band. The one who just previously this day fed 5,000 people with a basket of fish and chips. The one who is now defying all gravity and all laws by standing on water. That one, yeah, that one, he's here with you. He's with you right now. He's come. He hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. He isn't a ghost or a figment of your imagination. He is God, and he's right here with you. Isaiah 43, 2 says it this way. When you pass through the waters, I will be right there with you. Isn't that incredible? Even if the storm is our own doing, even if the storm is something that others have done to us, even if the storm just came out of nowhere like it does in the Sea of Galilee, you didn't expect it, you didn't want it, you didn't do anything to deserve it, even in those moments, he comes to be with us. And because of that reality, we can live without fear, church. We can live without fear, no matter how big the waves, no matter how strong the winds, he's here, he's with you, he's in you. Take courage. You might not see him, you might not feel him, You might not think he's around you. Even when he shows up, you might not recognize him. It might look odd or strange to you. He might make you uncomfortable, but the truth of the matter is he's right here. He's right here. And I hope you believe this to be true. You've got a picture hanging up in one of the hallways. I get lost in this church. But in one of the hallways is is a great picture, right? Michelangelo with the God about to touch Adam. Guess what the gospel says? They eventually touched. There's no gap anymore. He's right here. He's close enough to touch close enough to talk to. And that changes everything. That's what makes God so incredible, is it not? He isn't some distant deity, some unconcerned creator, some wallowing watchmaker in the sky. He's a strong savior who's right here with us. But what does that mean? What does that mean for us? All right, it's one thing to say, I'm brave. Then it's another when mom says, hey, go get me a can of tomato soup in the dark pantry. I'm not so brave. All right, Indiana Jones, any Indiana Jones fans? 
one of the movies, right? He's got to go get the cup. And it's this invisible bridge. It's one thing to say, yeah, I trust that bridge. I trust that bridge. Okay, walk across it. It's a very different thing. So what does that mean for us to not just say we have Christ-centered courage, but to live as those who are infused with Christ-centered courage? What does that mean? Man, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Two things that I want you to take away this morning. Christ-centered courage means that we live courageously. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For the spirit that God gave us doesn't make us timid, but gives us what? Power, love, and self-discipline. Knowing that Christ is here, knowing that God is with us, that empowers and enables us to do things the world can't do, to do things the world won't do, to do things the world refuses to do. And Peter lives that truth out for us here in Matthew. He shows us that when you truly believe Christ is right here with you in the middle of the storm, you have nothing to fear. It should cause you and compel you to do something crazy, something radical, something foolish for the Lord. Peter probably thought to himself, right, in this text, wait, 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 wait. Jesus? Our Jesus? The Jesus? He's out there? Then why am I paralyzed by fear in here? Tell me, Jesus, that I can join you in the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Tell me I can be a part of that. All the audacity Right? Oh, the nerve, oh, the boldness. He wants to be like Jesus. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to do something so courageous that only Jesus could make it happen. He didn't weigh the cost. He didn't do a pro-con list. He didn't think out probabilities. He didn't test the water. He didn't measure the temperature. He just stepped out the boat. He was courageous. He didn't think about the hashtags that would probably come after a stunt like this. You see, and I love what Jesus does here. I love that Jesus encourages him to do it. Help me to do something ridiculous, Jesus. Help me to step out in faith and do something crazy for you. And what does Jesus say? Ah, just wait for a second there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think so. What does he say? Come on. Come on. Peter, I know your heart. I know what you want to try to do. I know that you don't want to be paralyzed by fear anymore. Come on. Step out of that boat and come to me. And yeah, he sunk. He didn't make it that far, probably. He probably never lived that moment down. I mean, I can imagine the disciples. (laughs) Peter, 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 come here, come here, come here. Uh, Hey, you you know why Jesus calls you the rock? (laughs) Yeah, 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 we know, we know. Because you sink like a rock to the bottom of the sea. But here's the thing. We don't know what the other 11 guys thought. We don't know what the other 11 guys did. You know why? Because we don't hear anything else about the 11 guys. They're not the hero in the story. They played it safe. They gave in to fear. They were timid. They refused to act with Christ-centered courage. Here's the thing. Yeah, Peter sunk. He was the one who ended up closest to Christ, though. Yeah, he sunk, but he touched the hand of Jesus. Yes, he sunk, but Jesus spoke directly to him. The 11 guys in the boat didn't experience this transforming moment, this deeper intimacy with Christ. Peter did. Yeah, he was all wet when he did it, but who cares? He was the one who did it. I'd much rather have experienced that moment all wet than been sitting in the boat completely dry. And Peter did that. So what does this mean for us? 
What are the particulars that we take away? I don't know, and I don't, wanna, I don't want you to come and, and then just fill in the gaps or think you have to repeat or, or do something that I told you. But, but here's some examples, some things I thought of over the last week. We all have to take a risk of some sort. To overcome fear, you have to act in faith. And so we've got to take a risk. We need to step out in faith and in trust and in boldness. We have to do something that undermines our fear. So maybe for you, acting courageously means that you finally end that abusive, toxic relationship. Get out of it. I don't know what will happen. I don't know what next steps will be. But it's time to stop living in fear. Maybe for you, acting courageous means that you stop spending so much money on stuff you don't need and can't afford. Maybe you stop caring what the Joneses think. Maybe it means you tell someone, I'm in debt and going down and I need help. Maybe acting courageous for you means you finally start giving God 10%, your first and your best, and trust him that he will give you the rest. I don't know how it will play out. I don't know if your crazy old school flip phone or two-year-old TV will still work. And if you, I don't know. But it's time to stop living in fear. Maybe acting courageous for you means that you finally tell your coworkers or your classmates or your friends, I'm a Christian. Maybe it means that you invite them to church. Maybe you pray over them. Maybe you invite them to read the word together. Even if you've never really read it yourself or don't have all the answers, be courageous. Step out in faith. I don't know what you will say. I don't know what they will say, but it's time to stop living in fear. Maybe acting courageous for you means that you say no to going further sexually with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe it means you stop doubting that you're a great mom and believe that you are. Maybe it means you come home earlier from work and leave your work at work. Maybe it means you confront your best friend who's ruining his or her life with foolish decisions. Maybe it means you finally give something up or drop everything and go to that place that's been on your heart for years. I don't know, church, what it looks like for you. And I know it's scary. I know it will be hard. Chances are you're gonna sink and get all wet. But you're not safe in the boat. Fear and judgment and failure are going to destroy you. These are seasoned fishermen who know water like the back of their hand. And they were terrified. The boat's not safe. You'd be a fool to think that it is. The crazy truth in this text is the safest place for a Christian is out on the waves with Jesus, not in that little boat called fear. Take a risk this week. Take a chance. Do something that requires faith, something that requires God to show up. That brings us to our second takeaway, the Christ-centered courage that I want you to live in and live out. It's gonna demand that you are an encourager. See, typically we read Jesus' words in this text as if they're a rebuke, right? Peter, Peter, you failed. How dare you? You shouldn't have. You could have, he just, you have little faith. You fool. It's kind of how we read that text. That's not the loving embrace of Jesus. Jesus' words to Peter in this is more like this. Peter, you could have done it. It was possible. If you just would have kept on, you could have done it. See, the enemy comes to disarm our courage, to discourage us. And thus, one of the best ways to serve, one of the best ways to love our friends, our family, our neighbors, our non-believing coworkers, is to do what Jesus did for Peter in this text, to infuse them with courage, to literally take courage and put it in them, to encourage them. It's what Mordecai did for Esther. 
It's what Barnabas did for Paul, and it's what Paul did for Timothy. If the folks that we love the most are going to live the abundant life of Christ, they're going to need someone to put some courage in them. Will you be that person? Will you say, I know it looks bleak. I know it looks dark. I know it looks hopeless. I know the odds are stacked against you, and God's taking everything away. You don't think you can do it, but hang in there. Hang on. Press forward. Victory is possible. Health is possible. Recovery is possible. Redemption is possible. Would you, church, take courage, put it in somebody? Put it in them. great analogy for this is the San Francisco Marathon. Every five miles for the first 20 miles of this race, there's stations where people hand out water to the runners. And then at mile 20, the hardest part actually starts going uphill at mile 20. You have a station every mile. And not only do they hand out water at these stations, but now they're cheering for you. And then the last mile, every 100 feet, not only are they handing out water, not only are they encouraging you and shouting your name, they run with you. Random people who live in that street run the last part with you. They are telling them, I have courage and I want to put it into you. So my challenge for you this week, in addition to just living courageously, doing something that's out of your comfort zone, something that will require a lot of faith, be an encourager to three people. Find three people in your life this week that you can say, I want to put some courage in you. You can do this. You have what it takes through Christ to do this. So many of us are like that little boy in the story, aren't we? Mom, I don't want to go in the pantry. So many of us are like the disciples in Matthew 14. We're crippled, uh, crippled and, and paralyzed, otherwise known as crippleized. <laughs> See, comm majors can just make words up. But aren't we crippled and paralyzed by fear at one level or another? Maybe it's spiders or the dark or public speaking, or maybe it's judgment pain or failure. But chances are those fears, however small, however large, they're undermining your faith. They're limiting your intimacy with Jesus. Chances are those fears are causing you to live guarded, regret-filled, anxious lives. And instead of being crippled, we've called to be courageous. We've been called to have Christ-centered courage. And my promise to you is that if I am selected as your next lead pastor, I will do my absolute best to lead by example Christ-centered courage. And I ask that regardless of what happens to us, that you would commit to being that for somebody else this week. Live with Christ-centered courage. Let me close by reading and then praying over you my absolute favorite passage of scripture, Zephaniah 3.17. says this, For the Lord your God, he's right here living among you. He's a mighty savior, Oh, and he delights in you. With his love, he will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with a joyful song. God, would you make these words ring true, not only in our heads, but also in our hearts. Would we know that you are here? Would we know that you are mighty? Would we know that you love us? And would we not be afraid? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.